I'm telling you now, this town is accursed. You know, it started 20 years ago. It was the night of the Valentine's Day dance, the Union Hall. The biggest event of the year. It had been a tradition for over a hundred years. Everybody was there except for seven miners who were out at the Hanager mine. Five of them still down below. Two supervisors were waiting for the men to come up. Anxious to get to the party, they left before the men were safely out, failing to check the methane gas levels in the tunnels down below. continued its party. <laughs> For six weeks, we dug around the clock to try to save them. After we broke through, one man was found alive. I was the one who found. <laughs> Harry Warden spent the next year in the state mental hospital. Exactly one year later, on Valentine's Day, he came back to town. He killed the two supervisors who had left the post the year before. Then he cut out their hearts and stuffed them into heart-shaped candy boxes. That night at the dance, he found the boxes, blood dripping out the sides. Inside was a note, a warning from Harry, never to hold. Valentine's dance ever again. Every February 14th, Harry comes back to town. His pickaxe stained with blood, waiting in the shadows of the Henniger mine just for someone to kill, should they not heed his warning. bad time, this time of year. How many times is he going to tell this story? Oh, let him tell it. I love fairy tales. This ain't no fairy tale, little girl. If you don't take it seriously, you're a fool! <laughs> the first Valentine's dance in 20 years has to be something special. You gotta get a lot of exercise if you're gonna grapple with Gretchen. Oh yeah? Well, I got a Valentine for her that she's never gonna forget. <laughs> right to the heart, huh? In this town on Valentine's Day, 
everybody loses their heart. Roses are red, violets are blue. One is dead, and so are you. It can't be happening again. It can't be happening again. What's going on over in Valentine Bluffs? It looks like Harry Warden's back in town. It happened once. It happened twice. Cancel the dancer, it'll happen twice. In the town of Valentine Bluffs, there are many ways to die. Take your pick. My bloody Valentine. Happy Valentine's Day, you fuck rags. It's me. And, uh... <laughs> I should probably cut that out, but I'm leaving it in. <laughs> anyway, um... I, you know, I've got this Rob Zombie two-part special that I'm doing. But it's Valentine's Day, and it's kind of the only time that I can talk about this movie... Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna be reviewing kind of in between uh, Rob Zombie One and Rob Zombie Two, My Bloody Valentine. Uh, I think that it's a uh, it's a film that I have been meaning to review, and I just hadn't taken the time. But I I made the time, and it uh, you know it's to me it's cliche like it's 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 so passe to fucking do. Like, you know, oh, you gotta do Christmas movies during Christmas and Halloween movies during Halloween. And I'm guilty of that shit. I mean, we all are. I mean, that, that's what this genre is kind of built off of. So, um, you know, with all of that said, <laughs> here is the synopsis for 1981's My Bloody Valentine. There's a big Valentine party planned for the little coal mining town of Valentine Bluffs, Nova Scotia. The first Valentine's Day party in 20 years because there was an accident in the mine. And the accident happened because the men responsible for the security was at the party. The sole surviving miner, named Harry Warden, later killed them and told the town never to arrange a Valentine's Day party again. The party begins, and so does the killing. And that was by Christ Christer Walfredson. Walfredson. And uh, they actually <laughs> leave their email, and that's uh, kato at df.ith.se. 
Cato. C-A-T-O. <laughs> so, thank you, weird named guy. <laughs> or girl. I don't know if Christers are guy or a girl name. Christer. <laughs> My fucking name is Christer. <laughs> so, uh, you know, this is, this is one of those movies that, yeah, like, Black Christmas comes out. Does really fucking well. But, you know, nobody really, like, like people talk about Black Christmas, and, and don't get me wrong, it's been remade to fucking death. Um, but it's not, like, it's not a, on that level of, like, the bigs. Uh, to me, personal opinion. And I do a lot of horror movie reviews, so... Maybe my opinion holds some weight? I don't know. Who gives a shit? Uh, then in 1978, a film comes out by the name of Halloween. And that changes everything. That, that I mean, the, the slasher genre was already there. There's films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Last House on the Left, you know, uh, Black Christmas. So... The, the slasher genre existed, but it blew the fuck up with Halloween. Halloween was a game changer of a film because it was made for very little money, and then it made very l big money. <laughs> so uh, everybody started to jump on, on the board, on the bandwagon of slasher films. Uh, before Halloween, the horror films were like, you know, primarily stuff like, you know, The Exorcist or Ghosts or, you know, shit like that. And, you know, there's, you know, zombie movies and all this bullshit. But it, after Halloween made as much money as it did, there was this mindset from other filmmakers that were like, well, fuck, we just need to kind of copy that template and put this shit out and, and fucking get as much of this money as we can. And so there were, there were tons of copycats, but in 1980 a film came out by the name of Friday the 13th, which also made a shit ton of money. And then producers went, aha, maybe it's the date. <laughs> and so we started to get these holiday horror films and, and it became very, very common. It was like, well, fuck what, what, what holiday horror film hasn't been done yet? Valentine's day. And so that's what we, we've got. We've got a Valentine's themed horror film that borrows kind of kind of uh, unabashedly borrows <laughs> from Halloween it, it it's it's very obvious that they very much like uh, Friday the 13th Ryder just went watched Halloween a couple of times, took some notes, and kind of reverse engineered it. But you, you you see the fingerprints of Halloween. And 
this is a Paramount Pictures film, which means that, you know, Paramount, they're the ones that did Friday the 13th. And a uh, fun story, at the beginning of the movie, it says Thursday, February 12th, which would imply that the Valentine's Day party is, you know, on the 14th, which is a Saturday, which means that Friday the 13th takes place right before Valentine's Day. So you, you get these two kind of um, tent poles, if you will, of potential horror franchises, money makers for Paramount, and they're kind of trying to, you know, double dip. <laughs> and so we're... This is a film that's centered around a mining town. And, uh, again, the, the fucking, like, when I, when I heard that the name of the town was Valentine's Bluff, I was just like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> like, that's the, the hackiest hack writer fucking line, or writing ever to me, personally. Um, but the, the, the story is focused around, uh, TJ. TJ was is the toughest guy you'll ever meet wearing a neckerchief who tried to make it out in California and had to come back with his tail tucked between his legs. He left behind all of his friends and his family and his girlfriend and um, while he was away, his buddy Axel, he was like, oh, TJ, you leaving, man? I'm gonna miss you. Um, you taking your girlfriend with you? Oh, you're not? Oh, well, it'd be a damn shame if somebody were to... Because <laughs> immediately after he leaves, uh, he's making the play for that strange... Uh, the strange of Sarah. And uh, TJ coming back into town creates this... Fucking love triangle... Uh, conveniently timed with Valentine's Day, which is, you know, Valentine's Day is the the time of year where you're trying to trip over yourself to get some butt. <laughs> like, like, there's going to be so many people that are just going to be sore in the vagina or the butthole or the mouth on February 15th. <laughs> My my balls are gonna be drained. <laughs> just I can't wait. Love this holiday. Uh, you know, I got Valentine's Day and my birthday right around the same time. It's fucking the best. It's the best. Anyway, um, so uh, Axel, being you know the the incumbent uh, boyfriend, sees the former sitting boyfriend comes back into town. And gets real fucking nervous because he knows in his heart of hearts that Sarah cares more about TJ than she does about Axel. So he becomes an irrational prick. Like she, she's with her friend and they're talking about it. And her friend asks, you know, like, you want them both, don't you? And she's like, I, you know, I can't, I can't say i can't decide you know i've got so much dick option i can't just choose one I, would it be weird if i let them both fucking rail me 
<laughs> would it would it be weird? Would it be weird if I just let Axel and TJ fucking put me in a fucking Canadian fucking finger cuff? <laughs> like <laughs> and they just hockey team my ass and just fucking double up like like some fucking tough brutes and just fuck my face. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh, shit. But TJ and Axel, they both work um, at the mine. The The town is Valentine's Bluff. Uh, its main source of income is this mine. It, they never go into specifics of what exactly it is that they're mining. Um, you know, the assumption I would assume is it's like a coal mine maybe they're mining for blood diamonds or, or maybe because it's Canada as fuck they're mining for maple syrup I'd like to think that they're mining for maple syrup personally that's just my personal opinion <laughs> but so the uh, this is this is a, a cool fucking film to me because this isn't it isn't teenagers. It isn't overtly, hey, we're 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 a bunch of fucking teenagers out in the woods gonna go fuck. No, these are you know, twenty-something fucking adults who are working, you know, and just working men and women, and they're living in this small town, and they all kind of grew up together, so they they have that high school dynamic without having to be high schoolers so you don't have to sexualize children which uh, you know is a is a very very weirdly common thing in these films it's like oh teenagers fucking isn't that hot <laughs> because they're marketing to teenagers but really they're marketing to creepy adults um yeah neither here nor there uh <laughs> But it's it's refreshing to see these adult actors actually playing adults. And you would think that because they have adult actors playing adults, that the adult behavior would be more adult. But it's actually pretty tame. Uh, they earn their R rating in violence. It's not in, in sexuality. There's sexual elements to the film because it's fucking valentine's day people fuck on valentine's day like come on now what are we what are we doing here <laughs> but you know it, it's not explicit like the latter friday the 13th films or anything like that it's it just feels like it feels very much you know because canada they they're like they're the ones that did like meatballs and uh did they do animal house uh, I, I, it's national lampoons i don't know if that's if that's Canada. Is that Canada? Who fucking cares? Uh, no, I don't think it is. They, they're the, they're like the SCTV fucks, and you know, America's like the SNL fucks. It doesn't fucking matter. But Meatballs, for sure, um, is fucking ca Canada as fuck. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You get a, you get a, a thing that I really like about this film is that they they manage to really introduce characters they you know they keep the violence consistently moving throughout the film but what they're doing through the course of the film that works to me is that they're 
building like ability for other characters other than just the main character they're, they're making all of these people feel flushed out like the the character hollis to me is just like the coolest fucking dude he's just this fucking you know real smooth fat dude with a kick-ass mustache who just seems like a cool fucking dude Howard's this practical joker which you know they they're they're definitely archetypical um characters but it, it's characters that feel more flushed out within their archetypes and to me that's that's fucking all you really need to do you know give me a reason to give a shit about these people so when they start to die I give a fuck whether or not they die or not um let's see what else uh, oh yes I, I definitely want to talk about this because it, it is again um very reminiscent of like the Friday the 13th films they they have to have an old guy tells him you know he's he's old man exposition who tells them about the story of of fucking Harry Warden and he's which is just a that's a that's a name Harry Warden like Michael Myers you know Jason Voorhees Freddy Krueger Harry Warden it, it works one, two, three, four. So it's, yeah, four syllables. Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, am I the only one that thinks about shit like that? I don't think I am. But anyway. He tells them this story about Harry Warden and how, you know, in 1960 they had a Valentine's Day party and the people that were supposed to be watching out for everybody um, ended up saying, yeah, I think these guys got it. We're going to just go pimp over to the party for a little bit. And there was a fucking cave-in. And five people were caved in. They dug them out. And when they dug them out, all they found was one person alive. That was Harry Warren. And he's eating the people that he was caved in with. And he's crazy and all this shit. So they put him in a in an asylum he ends up breaking out and he goes and he kills the guys that were supposed to be watching when they had the cave in. And, you know, he warns them don't ever throw another fucking Valentine's Day party because if you do, I'm going to come back and I'm going to kill all you motherfuckers, right? And so this guy is telling them this. And he knows that they're setting up for a Valentine's Day thing. He's the one that pulled Harry out of the out of the mines. And he knows that he came back and killed people. And put their hearts into heart-shaped boxes, which is fucking metal as shit. Uh, I, neither here nor there. But he doesn't once say, while he's telling them how it's doomed and cursed and all of this shit. He doesn't once say to himself, Maybe I should go fucking bump the fuck out. There's a guy that comes back and, I don't know, rips people's hearts out of their chests. I'm going to move a town over. <laughs> I'm just going to move a town over. I saw a man eat another man here. And then that man came back and ripped hearts out. But the rent is so cheap. <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> Fucking what? 
So, this is the first time in 20 years that this town has had a Valentine's Day. And the, again, these aren't kids, they're 20-something fuckers, so uh, they lived in the time, they were kids when this motherfucker came back and ripped hearts out, but they're just like, what old man? I don't know about this legend. Oh, this isn't something that would be talked about in the town the whole time I fucking grew up. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta give some, like, you, you gotta just let some chip go in order to, to move on and, and get to that next place because that's a, that's a big plot point to me. Like, these kids are... These kids were alive when this shit happened, and they grew up in this town. They should be cognizant of who fucking Harry Warden is and not think that it's make pretend. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, you know. So, in the beginning of the movie, inexplicably, Harry Warden, Harry Warden, finger quotes, uh, uh, leads a lady into the mines to get his fuck on you know cause Harry Warden who murdered people and ate people and ripped hearts out of chests he is able to pull bitches which should tell you if you were alone this Valentine's Day that you were really doing something wrong maybe hit some sit ups some push ups maybe improve your personality you gotta do something though cause you're going to be jacking off on Valentine's Day. <laughs> like, get your game together. Like, it, 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 we're, we're living in a, in a pandemic world. Fuck something, bruh. <laughs> uh, so, <coughs> this movie, again, uh, just incredibly fucking Canadian. And uh, Mabel is this... This elder um, lady who flirts with the sheriff. She runs the, uh, the laundromat, and she's like the one who decorates the town, getting everything ready for Valentine's Day. Uh, she is also fucking. Uh, <laughs> what? What is? What is her? Uh, <sighs> I don't know. Uh, roses are red. You shouldn't have sex. One is dead, and you are next. Some bullshit like that. And uh, he he kills this fucking laundromat lady and puts her body in the dryer. Uh, it, all I thought about was the uh, the Toxic Avenger when I was watching this scene because it was just like, eh, did they do this same shit? The Toxic Avenger. I think Toxic Avenger came out in 84, so they probably stole this, but it's it's effective as shit. And um, when I was a teenager, I lived in a city called Hayward, and the neighboring city, or town, whatever, um, was Castro Valley. In Castro Valley, they have this, uh, this, like, boulevard where all of the 
disenfranchised children just walk up and down and get into trouble and uh, one of the places in that town is, is this donut shop and I remember as a teenager when I after I'd seen this film I used to go to this fucking donut shop because it just reminded me of my bloody Valentine it, it reminded me of the town of the small town feel especially during Valentine's because they made it up and it just it felt like a fucking time capsule and and that's what this town feels like and um, you know the sheriff <clears throat> he's being sent these heart-shaped boxes with warnings with hearts inside of them he's the one that finds Mabel in the fucking dryer and um, you know it's just like he he just says, you know what? We're 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 done. When when they kill Mabel, he's like, party's canceled. Pull all these fucking decorations down. Him and the mayor, they're just like, nah. Um. So the kids, and I, I keep finger quoting kids because they're the youngsters of the town, but they're adults. The young adults of the town uh, decide, well, we wanted, we really wanted to have a party. So instead, we're going to just do the party at the mine because TJ's dad is the one that owns the mine. And it's kind of his idea because, again, the, the main story is this love triangle with TJ, Axel, and Sarah. And so he's trying to one-up Axel and, and Axel is being a jealous prick and Sarah's being conflicted and they you know she kisses TJ and you know it's just like drama <laughs> so much drama but uh so they they decide to have the party and that's where the the film really picks up is them you know, doing the party inside of this fucking mine. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, we're going to really tempt fate. We're going to have a fucking Valentine's Day party in the place where the fucking accident happened that drove this dude crazy and sent him on a murderous rampage. Because, you know, fucking, why wouldn't you? And so, um, as the party's going on, the love triangle reaches a point of conflict where it just, it blows up and Axel and TJ get into a fight and they both separate and it's just like, you know, to alleviate the tension, they think, you know, we're already having a Valentine's Day party in the place where a cave-in happened. Why don't we, you know, I don't know, go down into the fucking mine? Because that makes sense. That seems like a, a smart thing to do, <laughs> I guess. And, you know, we're, we're just going to, we're going to put maybe one or two hard hats on. We're not going to put any of the gear that we put on when we work <laughs> down in here. Like, like these fucking guys work there. They know how dangerous it is. 
dangerous it is. They know the PPE that they're supposed to be wearing, but they're like, oh, it's a fucking party! We're gonna have some fucking drinks and, and like, cornholus a drunkie. <laughs> so, as, as all of this stuff is going on, they do something that I think is really interesting, because the the main brunt of the cast, the, the, the people that you've been you know, kind of focused on, um, all go down into the mine. The rest of the party is still kind of existing, and people are getting murdered, and they do something that I, I, I don't think is done very often in horror films, uh, you know, because the, the idea is you, you limit the group, and then you, you know, you weed them off, you, you separate them, you weed them off one by one, and um, nobody's the wiser until the last minute when pretty much everybody's dead and it's just the, the final girl and she does the body discovery run. It's very formulaic. So they they circumvented that in a, in a very kind of cool way where somebody actually discovered a body and everybody is like, holy shit, there's murders! Let's get the fuck out of here! And you know, so the only people that stay are TJ and Axel. They tell everybody to get the fuck out of there. And, um, I, I really think that that's cool. Uh, just not for nothing. And TJ and Axel, they, they, they do something that I think is, is different then, um, you know, they, they, they let their differences aside, I should say, and in the betterment of, for Sarah and Hollis and Howard and all the people that went down into the cave, they have to go save them, so they have to look past this, uh, fight that they just had for the betterment of, of everybody else. It's a very Canadian thing to do. Very, totally Canadian. <laughs> and so, um... They split up, as you do, and they go to um, try to save people. Hollis ends up taking a nail gun to the head. Howard sees that, uh, you know, Hollis is dead and there's Harry Warden. So even though he's with the girls, he's just like, yeah, fuck you guys, I'm out. <laughs> and he just bumps the fuck out. Um, I'm not going to spoil this ending uh, this is going to be the point where i stop talking about what happens in the movie and just kind of give my feelings about the movie and to me i think that this is one of those films that it, it is it is very cliche it is very uh by the numbers and formulaic and in different ways but it manages to be kind of its own thing and inherently its own. I think largely due to the fact that it's real fucking Canadian. Uh, Black Christmas was also a Canadian film, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it just, it, it has a charm in the first half and then it gets, when it needs to be mean, it's it's mean but it's it's very nice 
And that duality really works for me. So, for my Reapers, I'm going to give this three and a half Reapers um, out of five. I, I thought it was a really fun movie. I really like the character Hollis. I, I think that, you know, with some hacky shit that's in there um, looked past, this is a really fucking fun movie. It's it's definitely a movie you watch once a year in February. Get it out of your system. And it's a fun time every time. I haven't seen this movie in a long fucking time. I remembered a lot of the beats. I did not remember the way that it ended. So that I... Like, the whole time I'm watching it, I'm, I'm thinking one thing. And when it turned out to be that thing, I, you know, I was like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, you, you, you kind of, you kind of see it, you know what I mean? It, it's, it's calculated and it, and it, and it works, but, um, I just, I saw it coming, even though I didn't remember it. I saw it coming watching it. Um, I thought it might have gone the other way, and and I thought that they did a good job of not letting you know, and yeah, the revelation I think is pretty good. This movie is as old as me. This movie was made the month and year I was born, um, or released the month and year I was born. So uh, we've come a long way. Three point five. QPID 940 on your radio dial in countryside Cupid. Valentine Bluffs, where the heartland meets the sea. Here. Somebody left this for you. For me? Who was it? I don't know. It was already inside when we got here. Maybe got a secret admirer, huh? <laughs> you in on this, Mabel? I'm afraid not, Mayor. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't look at me. I didn't have a thing to do with it. <laughs> oh, well, hell. I've been looking for an excuse to get off this miserable diet Mrs. Hanniger has me on. <laughs> Thanks, Howard. <laughs> There's one thing I like better than Christmas candy. It's Valentine's candy. Have some. Hey. Oh. Who said it? Hey. From the heart comes a warning filled with bloody good cheer. Remember what happened as the 14th draws near. It can't be happening again. It can't.
That's right. Don't don't pull your dicks out yet. Don't don't get don't get your Valentine's fuck on just quite yet. It is time for bonus cuts, and then we're gonna get out of here. So so if you are ready to go for this ride, you're ready to get on out. Um, let's let's just talk about like the making of kind of shit for a little bit, and then I'll and then I'll send you on your way to go conquer or conquest or whatever whatever sea cookie you are good enough for anyway um we're gonna get right into it uh director george mahalka i'm not sure if i pronounced that right mahalka on the strength of his earlier movie pickup summer was approached by cinepix productions headed by andre link and john dunning with a two-movie contract mahalka was asked to direct a horror slasher story presented to Dunning by Stephen Miller in mid-1980. And after Mahalka agreed, John Baird was brought in to write the screenplay. Producers Andre Link and John Dunning said that the film's origin came when they sought out to find a holiday which a slasher film had not been set on during a slasher flick boom. I was joking when I said that earlier, uh, but it's true. (laughs) Of the early 1980s, they settled on Valentine's Day. In order to keep that idea from being copied, they made the film's working title The Secret, though they had the release title in mind the whole time. And uh, again, uh, you know, they completely had that idea going. The original title was The Secret, and uh, the song at the end, the, the, the ballad at the end, <laughs> it included a reference to The Secret. And, uh, yeah. It, the ballad of Harry Warden is all about a secret, and the secret is not going to be revealed by this podcast. I, you know. If if you don't know the answer to who the killer is in the movie, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to give you the secret. <laughs> hey, you should watch it. It's available on Amazon Prime. There's even a version on YouTube for the freeze. Yeah, you know, if you have Amazon Prime, it's free, daddy. Anyway, uh, shooting on my bloody Valentine began on September 8, 1980 taking place around the Princess Colliery Mine in Sydney Mines, Nova Scotia, which had closed in 1975. Filming completed in November of 1980. The budget was approximately $2.3 million. Uh, Mahalka had since said making the movie that the most dif- uh, since said about making the movie that the most difficult element was shooting in the mine. Uh, It was located 2,700 feet down underground, or 820 meters for Canadianese. I I, I don't know. I don't know what the the metric system bullshit is. I know it's feet for us. That's all I know, because I'm American. I don't give a fuck about you. Um, (laughs) It was a lengthy process due to the limited space of the elevators. It would take an hour to transport cast and crew to the location. Uh, also, due to the methane levels underground, lighting had to be carefully planned 
as a number of bulbs that could safely be utilized was limited. Uh, the owners, being very Canadian, cleaned up <laughs> the location significantly, uh, leaving it described as clean and colorful as a clean and colorful Disneyland set. Uh, so that act of kindness for, forced the production team to spend an estimated thirty thousand uh, dollars. I saw another figure that said it was closer to seventy-five to uh, paint portions of the mine to achieve a darker atmosphere, kind of like what the, they had already had there. But it was cleaned up. They were like, "Hey, hey we're really glad that you're gonna make a movie here." Eh? So, uh, we, we cleaned up the mine for you, we, we, we got you guys some, some, uh, some crewlers, are they crewlers? <laughs> it's, it's, it's great stuff, man, uh, you're gonna love it, it'll be, like, your favorite thing ever, and we'll, we'll just, uh, you know, we'll, 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 uh, we'll clean up when you guys are done making the movie, uh, if you need anybody to, like, stand in, or, Maybe hold the lady. We're, we're really good at that kind of stuff. Like, because they're, they're just really nice. Isn't that what... Like, there's two things that I know about Canadians. They're really nice. And they're pirates. Uh, Rob Stein, who played John, said that the sequences in the locker room showers were cumbersome because the water, which appears hot on film, was actually frigid cold. Fans blowing steam into the scene also contributed to the cold. Uh, cold showers in Canada sounds like dick shriveling weather. And, um, apparently, uh, they, the, the guys were buck ass naked while they, uh, in the shower scene. Uh, this is according to, uh, Mahalka. The extras, uh, the actors and extras playing minors in the group shower scene were genuinely naked, even though they were filmed from the chest up. They're like, we, we really believe in our art. <laughs> we want our dicks out. <laughs> dicks out. <laughs> hey, is it cool if I pull up my dick out? Hey, I, I'm gonna be shooting a scene where, I'm shooting a scene where I'm naked, eh? So, uh, I'm gonna have my dick out. And, uh, sorry about that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get to the murdery very very soon. <laughs> According to the makeup effects artist Thomas Berman, one of the gory creations was realistic enough uh, that George Malka threw up at the sight of it. Malka. One of these days I'll get his name right. Maybe I've been getting it right all along. Who knows? Who cares? According to an interview by the Terror Trap, composer Paul Zaza spoke out about wanting to create a different kind of musical motif for each of the individual murders, as well as make the music have dripping dab, creepy sound to it, like in the mind setting itself. He also stated that the in-credit song, The Ballad of Harry Warden, was written because the movie producers wanted a song that could be a hit single on a vinyl record but they ran out of funding so the ballad of harry warden was written instead uh, most of the soundtrack to my blood valentine was never commercially released but it's under this episode because
because I'm Canadian. Uh, the crew kept the identity of the killer a secret to the cast members until the end of production when the final scene was shot in order to assure that actors played their parts in an ambiguous manner. Which, you know, they always say that, but is it true? I, it was one of two people. If it wasn't the the person, you know, because, you know, prom night and... All this shit, like, the, the, the shit has been done to death. It's a murder mystery. Who done it? Just Friday the 13th, same shit. Um, it worked. I liked it. Uh, the MPMA, or the MP, the MPMA, the MDMA, the MDMA. <laughs> uh, the MPAA cut more than five minutes out of the film before it came out, mostly because the movie was released shortly after John Lennon died. And there was a major outlash against violent movies. A backlash, even. In 2009, a special edition of the film was released with most of the gory footage put back into the film. The only footage missing was an on-screen impalement of Michael and Harriet. And when John discovers Sylvia's corpse, there was originally supposed to be a shot of the water coming through Sylvia's uh, turning blood red, which was said to have deteriorated over the years. I've seen that scene. Um, it's pretty fucking rad. Uh, all of the deleted gore sequences are on YouTube, and it, like, legit, I watched the, I, like, I reviewed the movie, and then I, like, got high, and I, and I watched the deleted scenes, because I knew I'd be talking about the deleted scenes, so I was like, oh, fuck it, let's watch them. They did some fucked up shit in that in those deleted scenes. Like, if they had kept all that shit in there, this movie would have been even fucking dope. <laughs> uh, there, there's one scene where the old man who's trying to like scare them. He's it's fucking doomed. He's he's like, you know, they're Ralph in this movie. Uh, he goes to set this scare, and you know, obviously that it goes the way it goes. But uh, they do this scene where the pitchfork goes under the jaw and into the, like, out the eyeball comes out and, sh and then the body's, like, dragged away. At so, fun story. Uh, fun, maybe not for you, but it's definitely, it, would, it was definitely a fun story for me. I made a horror movie. And I used this movie kind of as a template. Um... I didn't know that I was using it as a template until I thought about it. I was like, holy shit. I'm basically just doing My Bloody Valentine. Like, I was... a Fun story. I was the killer. And, uh... You know, it was like, nobody knew who did it. And, uh, I... Not only did I steal from My Bloody Valentine, but I also stole from, uh, Friday the 13th Part 7 when uh the doctor fucking holds the mom up in front of jason and you know she gets hacked up uh i did that scene where i had, i had a guy use a chick as a human shield and he gets this like blood splatter just cum shot just like it was it was it was fucking great and uh the instead of a pitchfork i used a uh one of those spike, like like the metal rakes. It was like, you know, they were sharp. 
and uh, my future girlfriend or future ex-girlfriend uh, was one of the she I had her play a lesbian and there was like a lesbian sex like it was it was you know it was a slasher film it was an amalgam of you know all of this fucking slasher shit that I saw I I'd made a, a I believe I made a trailer for it maybe I didn't do it maybe it was so uh, but we we made this fucking trailer for it. It was it was tits, dude. It was like, it, it, you know, it's corny because it's like you know, home fucking shot kind of shit. But um, it had potential, and we had we had like a like a dope location and all the shit. But uh, yeah, I totally ripped off my bloody Valentine. Uh, the killer was wearing a, a fucking jumpsuit, and instead of the uh, the fucking mask the killer wears in this film I used the uh, those uh, paintball masks one of those and uh, you know covered the head and shit but you know uh, just uh, is what it is I don't, I don't know uh, there was also uh, you know again the, the death on the spout was way better uh, the, the the decapitation scene where where the body falls and the the head lands in the noose very much like just straight up taken from Suspiria except they took it an extra step and they had the body from the weight alone just rip and and they they in the uh, extended version they just kind of linger on it a little bit more. Uh, but it's, it's, it's fucking rad, dude. Like, this movie has some really dope fucking violence. I thought that I gave it a good rating. Um, and again, uh, you know, the Mike and Harriet death was supposed to be a more elaborate and, again, um, taken from Bad Blood. It was also done in Friday the 13th Part 2. So, you know, the, the... Horror filmmakers were stealing from Italy, big time in the 80s. Uh, My Bloody Valentine was distributed by Paramount Pictures in the United States February 11th, 1981, and in Canada February 13th, 1981. So, this film is officially 40 years old this week. Next week, I will be officially 40 years old, and uh, I'll be talking about Halloween 2. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> My Bloody Valentine grossed in the U.S. $5.6 million. Uh, the film did gross, or the film's gross exceeded the film's budget of $2.3 million, but it was considered a box office disappointment by Paramount Pictures. Uh, the amount was $3.3 million, uh, was the profit. That was a, less than a third of what the uh, Friday the Thirteenth had made the year prior. So they were like, "Yeah, that's that's it's kind of it's kind of wack, yo." That's it. That's all you got. Uh, Mahalka approached uh, Paramount in 2001 with a synopsis for a sequel, but because of the poor office, box office, they refused. And, uh, of course, it was remade 
maybe I'll eventually get around to doing it. Probably not. Um, I mean, they. I might get around to doing it, like if I just want to shit on something. And if if you lift if you if you listen to the Rob, Rob Zombie episode, I shit on one of those one of the three movies that I reviewed in the last episode. I'm not gonna say which one, but. Uh, Anyway, Tarantino has named My Bloody Valentine as his all-time favorite slasher movie. Um, I know he watches a lot of movies, so I'm confused by that. Uh, it's a it's a great fucking film. It's fun, but his favorite? He's a slave of right then in that moment. He was talking about the movie, so he was like, "Yeah, it's my favorite." That's what I would assume before that's his actual favorite. Um, but now that all of the facts are gone, now it's my favorite part. This is uh, the reviews that are released at the time of their release. So this one was released February 12th, 1981. Funnily enough, in between the American release and the Canadian release. And the beginning of the fucking film so this film or this release was done on thursday if if our math is correct that means friday is friday the 13th daddy yeah um <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm very tired uh so this was written by tom buckley and he says my bloody valentine probably won't make you shiver with fright but it's almost certain to make you squirm first with irritation, and then with revulsion. Just when it seemed that quickie horror movies had touched bottom, this Canadian production, which opened yesterday uh, at Lowe State and I... State One and other theaters, drops the level of shoddy exploitation another 2,000 feet or so. The measurement is quite literal, because most of it takes place in a mine. As the film begins, the village of Valentine Bluffs, corny still, overlooking the Atlantic Ocean in what looks like Newfoundland, is about to resume its old custom of having Saint Valentine's a Saint Valentine's Day da- dance after a lapse of twenty years. Don't do it, warns the bartender at a local tavern. But if such wanderings were discouraged, where would the makers of horror pictures be? The ugliness of what follows, a murderer who cuts out the hearts of his numerous victim, uh, victims, plural, is intensified by the absence of the least vestige of talent on the part of anyone concerned with the film. Uh, Hollis is dope. <laughs> Scarcely surprising considering that none of the main people involved, George Mahalka, the director, John Beard, the writer, and the leads, Paul Kilman, Laurie Haler, and Neil Affleck, seem to have had significant professional experience. Yeah, they were good. I, I, you know, I, I thought that they were solid actors. I thought it was solidly directed. I thought that the characters were enjoyable. Again, I'm getting in the way. Two of the producers, John Dunning and Andre Link, were responsible for Meatballs. Meatballs! See, I said it! Uh, which was nearly as tasteless in a rather different way. Movies like My Bloody Valentine are usually distributed by obscure companies with one-room offices and couches. But the culprit 
And here is Paramount Pictures, which might have been expected to put limits on what it would do for money. Um, just seems kind of prudy. Probably isn't a horror film fan. Um, I thought this fucking movie is great. Uh, you know, I, I sing its praises, but I think that one of the things that this movie does well is they manage to make you give a shit about the characters. And, and I know that that's, that's an obscene concept to think, oh, well, why should I care? They're just going to die. You should care because they're going to die. You should care when they die. So making the characters likable, which they did, and making characters unlikable, which they did, makes you have a vested interest in what happens to said characters. That is fucking storytelling 101. <laughs> I don't understand why I say it all the time. If I don't give a shit about the characters, I usually don't give a shit when they die. It's a simple process. You do the right thing. You build your characters. You make people care. You make them funny. You make them charming. You make them conflicted. And they have something that they have to overcome. It's, you know, it's, that's the process of storytelling. Why am I telling you this? Because it seems like it's a fucking lost art. And this, a movie from 1981, is not trying to be fucking the smartest guy in the room it's not it's not cynical it's it's earnest and it's just a straightforward horror film that has a twist that you may see coming and if you don't you know then you'll be like oh well i didn't see that coming but it's good it's a good journey it's a fun journey with quality characters that you know die in really cool fucking ways you don't really need much more than that when you're watching a slasher movie. Anyway, that's going to do it for us. I hope that you guys have a very safe Valentine's Day. I hope that you wear condoms. I hope that you wear masks. I hope that you wear gloves. That you take each other's temperature before you drink each other's cum. Um, you know, Valentine's Day is about love. But love is really about sex. So make sure that you're having sex. If it's with yourself, love yourself. If it's with a friend, love your friend. For that moment alone. Valentine's Day is about love. It's about heart. It's about getting to the heart of things. And that's what this movie was about. It was about getting to the heart of things. We had a romantic triangle. We had a dude with a sexy fucking mustache. Who was chubby and delicious. I just want to eat him up like a fucking gumball. What? But we had all kinds of shit. We had we had Canadian shit. We had like like people say a boot and it was charming. I want more of this. But not the remake. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to go 80s for a while. Yeah, you modern films you you bore me. Y'all want to be woke. You you want to you have gender equality? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, I, I think I'm going to stick with the 80s for a while. This this Rob Zombie thing has made me just, just grumpy. So I needed this. I needed this. Like, 
cl- palate cleanser in between uh, my meal <laughs> before I go to the next meal, which is our next episode. Is the second part of the Rob Zombie special. We will be looking at Halloween 2. Yes, pray for me. We will be looking at the Lords of Salem. We will be looking at 31. And we will be looking at Three from Hell. As in the past Rob Zombie special, we will have guests, plural. We will have opinions, plural. And we will have movies, plural. And we will have the second part of the Rob Zombie bio, which I hope that you guys enjoy because it's a lot of fucking work. Um, You know, the, the... director spotlight episodes uh, I think it's cool because you get to you know better understand a director but also I can kind of just clean somebody off my slate <laughs> so I don't have to worry about Ari Aster until he makes another movie that will upset half of the people and the other half will cream all over and I don't have to worry about Rob Zombie until he makes another hillbilly fucking murder mystery that's not really a mystery. Um, hmm. <laughs> podcast that you should listen to. The Horror Haven Podcast. I'll say it every day. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face. Horror Haven Podcast. Dylan and Sarah, married couple. They're cute. They're charming. They're fun. Dylan's a smart guy. Sarah is just sharp as a tack. And together, they've made two children, and they make a horror podcast that I really think you should check out. It is in the stream. Their most recent episodes are in the stream. Um, I know that they are working on a remake of the Thing uh, review. I know that they released a review of High Tension. So... You should definitely check those shows out. They're available in this stream. So when you see Horror Haven Podcast, give it a fucking listen. Other podcasts that aren't in the stream that I think you should fucking listen to are Beyond the Void. I really like that fucking show. I think that the production value on that show is top fucking notch. I think that Alex is very similar in terms of opinion in you know with horror films so you know that that validates me and my opinion so i'm all about validating my opinion and living in an echo chamber what what you gonna tell me that you're not anyway um (laughs) say you love satan 80s horror podcast they don't need my help they do just fine but if you've never heard of them check them out um yeah civil gore podcast i really enjoyed their show uh giallo of the month club really fucking terrifically made show like there's a there's a lot of really well made like enjoyable horror podcasts available and there's this show (laughs) No, I hope that you enjoy this show. I hope that you enjoy the the work that I've been doing lately. I hope that you're listening to Matinee. Um, We've got another new episode of Matinee getting ready to come out. And after that episode, I'll have some information about Matinee. So, 
um, you should definitely, and if, and if you're, you know, one of those, one of those people that loves Sid Haig, like I do, um, you'll be really interested in that information. I think maybe you're not, maybe you're not into exploitation films. Anyway, I think I've said everything that I really feel like I need to say about this film. I think that I've, I've told you to wear a condom. I'm not going to wear a condom. I'm married. I don't have to. That's the best part about being married. She could just come inside of the person. Just as much as you want. Just blow buckets of cum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. I should do these when I'm tired more often. Yeah, you'll hear some yawns, but wow, do you get some zingers. (laughs) Anyway. That is going to do it for us, you guys. I hope that your Valentine's Day is going to be as enjoyable as mine. I'm going to drop this first thing in the morning so I make sure that I am available for love all night long. <laughs> God damn it. Oh, it's going to be so funny when she gets her period. Anyway, <laughs> for Canada and for myself. My name's Chucky. <laughs> Throw Harry Ward in there as well. <laughs> Harry Ballsack, whatever. Throw all the Harrys in there. I'm just wild about Harry. Ballsack. <laughs> this has been another episode of the Creature Features Podcast. GeeksTheIndustry.com, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Happy Valentine's Day. And listen with someone you trust. Once upon a time, on a sad Valentine, in a place known as Hanigar Mine, a legend began. Every woman and man would always remember the time And those who remained were never the same You could see the fear in their eyes Once every year as the 14th draws near There's a hush all over the town While the legend they say on a Valentine's Day is a curse that'll live on and on And no one will know As the years come and go Of the horror from long time ago I am coming! This whole fucking town is going to die! We're coming back, you bastards! (laughs) Sarah, be my bloody valentine. (laughs) Daddy, gone away, Harry.